Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Get ready for a real treat. Despite her super busy schedule, April Dunford found half an hour to sit down and talk to me about her public speaking journey. April has a natural affinity for the podium that really comes through in her talks. We speak about how she explains a difficult marketing topic about her product positioning in her talks and about using context setting and analogies in the right way. Let's get started. April, welcome to the Fireside of Voxgig podcast. It is fantastic to finally have you here. No, I'm so great to be here. I'm so excited. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to start with a two-part question. Hmm. You speak on stage about something called positioning. And I'm going to ask you to take a leaf out of your own book uh, and give us a quick explanation for what market positioning is, because uh, it's one of those things that's fabulous once you understand it, but it's a hard sell. Oh, positioning. Yeah. And the second part of the question addresses that. How have you got to the point where you can get up on stage? And I've seen some of your videos and eloquently explain this really hard marketing concept using chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of the cake analogy. Um, Yeah, it's been kind of a long road. So, you know, I'll start with the first part. So positioning is really misunderstood, particularly in the companies that I work with, which are, are mainly tech companies. And so, but even marketers that have been doing marketing for a long time, if, if I were to line up 10 really senior marketers and ask, ask them each, you know, define positioning for me, they would give me probably 10 really different definitions. And so even within the marketing community, positioning is not well defined. And so, um, I define positioning as um, positioning describes how your offering is the best in the world at delivering something that a well-defined set of people care a lot about. And there are many components to that. If you parse that statement, positioning includes a definition of who your competitive alternatives are, what you do that's unique, that no one else can do, the value that you can deliver for customers, a definition of the the customers that you're actually targeting, as well as the market category that you intend to win. And so all of those things taken together define positioning. And then Mm -hmm. almost everything we do in marketing and sales flows downstream from that. You want to build messaging? Well, you got to do positioning first. You want to do branding? You got to do positioning first. You want to tagline or you're thinking about building sales materials? You got to do positioning first. So it's kind of like if we think of everything we do in marketing and sales as the house, positioning is the foundation upon which the house is built. Okay. So how I got in this gig is 
funny. <laughs> it's just hard to get your head around, right? It's hard to get your head around. So we chatted about this briefly before we started recording, but you know, my background is technical and I don't have a degree in marketing and I kind of landed in the marketing department kind of accidentally. Um, I started out in product marketing. I have an engineering degree. The company I was with got acquired. My boss left. I was last person standing and I inherited the team. And because I was now in marketing, running a marketing team, I thought I better learn something about marketing. So I took a lot of courses and I read a lot of books and I found the idea of positioning really intriguing because we were so bad at it. And yet it was this thing that if I didn't get it right, nothing I did downstream was going to be good. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to do positioning. And I was shocked to find out that there wasn't an accepted methodology to do it. So I eventually came up with my own by splitting positioning down into component pieces and then having a process for figuring out what the best answer is for each of the pieces and then how you smash them together. So I had this methodology for myself that I was using in the companies that I was in. And then eventually I started teaching that to people. So yeah. I was an entrepreneur in residence at a, a couple different startup incubators. So I was started running a regular class where I was teaching positioning. And then eventually I get asked to speak on that topic. But you know, it's funny at the beginning, I didn't ever get asked to speak on positioning. I, people would say, Hey, people tell me you run this course and it's really smart. And maybe you could come and speak at our thing. And I'd say, yeah, sure. And they'd say, what's your topic? And I'd say positioning. And they'd say, Oh, got anything <laughs> like interesting? <laughs> That's where I came. I mean, I, I heard you on another podcast, the Sastock one, and, and it was kind of like, oh, I just this, this, you know, I need to do marketing. And then it was awesome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you need to position positioning better. Oh, positioning has a positioning problem. It's terrible. It's terrible, actually. So when I'm talking about positioning, I have to kind of start by saying, here's what is not, right? It's not messaging. It's not brand. Yeah. Brand positioning drives me crazy, that phrase. Like there's branding and there's positioning. Those two things are completely different. And in fact, in one, flows from the other. So, you know, so that was my first problem was I have to get up on a stage and talk about positioning. And at first I'd have to, you know, bust your bubble that like people, you don't know anything about this. <laughs> like you think you do. Yeah. You don't actually know that much about it. And then I would have to kind of say, okay, so what is it? And I would have to come up with stories to make that kind of come alive. And Originally, when I started speaking about positioning, I, you know, I gave a lot of examples from technical products that I personally had repositioned. But the problem with that, if I've got a yeah, really technical yeah. audience, is they get really hung up in the tech. <laughs> so, so I'll be oh, saying, yeah, yeah. yeah like, they'll be like, well, but is that right? <laughs> like, I mean, if it's a database and it does this, what about this? And so then I thought, okay, maybe I need to actually back up and just give you a couple of examples that have nothing to do with tech and nothing to do with anything you're deep on and then give you some examples that way. And then we'll get into some technical examples once I've got you. And so I started giving examples like the one I have in my, in my book, there's one where I talk about, let's say you're a baker and your specialty is chocolate cake and you want to make revolutionary chocolate cake and, <laughs> you know, and you get out yeah. and you test some things in the market and you decide, you know, you're going to make this portable cake snack that you can drink a coffee in one hand and eat cake in the other hand. And you come up with this thing and it, and it's like a ball and then there's a stick underneath and 
if you were positioning it as cake, because that's what you set out to do, you'd call it cake on a stick. <laughs> and people would say, cake on a okay. stick kind of sucks. I don't want cake on a stick. And yeah. by the way, if we're positioning as cake, you know, what wins a cake contest? The cake is cake in town. I want fluffy cake and I want lots of frosting and I want a big piece of it. Cake right, features. cake features. Whereas yeah. this thing you built, everything that's cool about it is it's the ball and the stick and it's portable and none of that's actually cake. So you'd be better to position that thing as a lollipop. If I position it as a lollipop, now I say, well, I got a thing and it's, you know, and it's for, it's a lollipop, except it's for grownups to have with your coffee. And they were like, of course it's got a ball. Of course it's got a stick. That's what makes it cool. And I'm a grown-up drinking a coffee. I don't really want a lollipop, but a cake pop. That sounds cool. I'll buy one of them. Yeah. And so I started doing analogies like that where there's, you know, I started out doing doing muffins versus cupcakes and cake versus cake pops. And in the book, I have an example of like, you know, you're making a healthy paleo snack thing versus a cupcake. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like that, that's reality now, right? You get these like paleo energy balls and all this type of stuff, right? Did you start out with the, with the chocolate cake? Yeah, the first example I used was cake versus muffins. And how I came up with the cake versus muffin yeah. example was I live in Toronto and we have this famous coffee chain called Tim Hortons. And that morning I, that I was working on my speech, I, I went into the Tim Hortons to get breakfast and the person at the till tried to sell me this thing and it was called a double chocolate salted caramel muffin. And I was like, that is such genius because, and I bought it and I bought <laughs> it back and I was like, you know what this is? Okay. This is, they, it's basically a chunk of cake, but they're positioning it as a muffin so that it's socially acceptable for me to eat it for breakfast. <laughs> Because they call it, but it's literally cake. There's, there's, you know, and so that got me thinking about what's the difference between muffin and cake is it's just positioning. And then I used to, and and then I used to use that as an example for the techie people, right? I'm not, it doesn't actually change just how you talk about it. It changes the pricing. It changes your competitive comparables, right? So if I say I'm cake, then I compete with, I compete with dessert, but if I say I'm yeah, your comparison matrix, right, if I say I'm is, a yeah, muffin, right. now I'm competing yeah. with donuts and and oatmeal <laughs> and whatever else you eat for breakfast. And you win because cake well, is yeah. And so experience. you win with a certain percentage of the population, right? You win with people that really don't yeah. care about eating healthy for breakfast, and all they want is a sweet treat with the coffee. <laughs> So have you kept that one up? Occasionally I'll pull it out. Although, you know, I yeah. get sick of my own examples. Yeah. And so I, I pull them out. Yeah, and I, yeah. But occasionally it does. Has it ever gone horribly wrong? You, know, you get an audience question afterwards and they just, they got the wrong end of the stick. Yeah, so I, have, I have all kinds of analogies that I've tried once or twice. And then I had to just retire them because afterwards it was clear. Nobody understood what the heck I was trying to get at. <laughs> and in fact, the cake yeah. versus muffin one, I retired that when I came up with cake versus cake pops because it was easier to illustrate how do features fit into this. And for technical people doing technical products, this idea of cake on a stick versus a cake pop really seemed to resonate with the audience. So I kind of retired cake versus muffins and went on to cake cake and cake pop. Yeah. And then, you know, and then moved on to other things after I found other ones that work better. The kind of lesson I'm taking from this is if you have to speak about a challenging topic, 
do use analogies or non-technical ways of explaining it, but you got to road test them. You have to road test it. Like the, um, I've had things that I thought made perfect sense in my head. And, you know, and I've tried it out on some people like around the office. Hey, what if I said this? But then I do it on stage and it just doesn't work at all. <laughs> like you can just see, you can just see everybody yeah. in the audience doing this like squinty eye head tilt thing where they're like, what? <laughs> Was she paid to say that? <laughs> right. Like, what's she going, where's she going with this? You know, and then yeah. y- y- you get that feedback and you just move on. You're like, okay, that one didn't work. Let's try something else. Okay. So take me through the structure. You have this really good analogy. So you road test mm. this analogy, you know, it kind of works and you still need to dig into the technical details of your subject matter. How do you build a narrative the sort of arc of your talk is 20 minute yeah. talk, let's say around this concept. I've seen different people do talks with different structures, but my talk, particularly the talk I'm doing right now, the structure that works the best for me is I kind of start with popping everybody's bubble about positioning, because if I don't start there, then I lose people. So most of the people in the audience are, they either think they know what positioning is all about, or they're like, I have no idea what mm. positioning is really. I'm coming to this talk to figure it out. <laughs> so okay. I kind of have to level the playing field right from the beginning and say, all right, this is a talk about positioning. Positioning is really misunderstood. Here's what I mean when I say positioning. And then I move to why do you care? So if, if that's what positioning is, is it important? And how does it impact what we're doing? So I kind of start by saying, this is a concept and I I need you to kind of leave your preconceived notions behind, which is sort of a wipe the slate thing. And then I get into sort of problem definition. Like this is the problem that positioning solves. And if you think you have that problem, then you better get good at positioning. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of do, you know, clean slate problem, how positioning can solve that problem where I need to get to is I have a methodology for doing positioning, but if you don't think you have a problem that positioning can solve, then you don't care about my methodology. (laughs) Yeah. You got to, you got to sell the problem first. So I, so I have to start by wiping the slate because otherwise you have no clue what I'm talking about or you're bringing your misconceptions into that. Then I'm describing, well, look, this is the problem that positioning solves. And if you think you've got that problem, then you're going to need to know how to do positioning. And then I move into, and this is how you're going to solve it. And so it's, it's a bit of three acts and sprinkled in there are a handful of stories that makes the stuff come alive. Okay. Yeah. This is an interesting one because mm. I have done this and regretted it. Do you have up the problem or do you, do you, do you go for a slightly more controversial position? Yeah. For my stuff, it's interesting. Most people, like I say, they come to the talk either thinking, I know positioning, you know, but maybe I'm going to learn a little something I hadn't thought of before or something like, but I think I, I think I got this. And not only that, most people come to the talk thinking the positioning for their own products is just fine. And I kind of do this slow unwinding and there is literally a moment in the middle of my talk where a good percentage of the people in the audience, I can literally see it on their face where they have this kind of, oh shit moment (laughs) where they're like, Oh no. 
I actually have that problem. Wow. And it's kind of this magic moment. <laughs> that's so powerful. Oh my God. That's amazing. It is, right? And you can see it on people's faces where there's this kind of, oh, and then all of a sudden everyone's taking notes. The phones are out. They're taking pictures of my slides. <laughs> like, you know, and there's like this moment oh, where so the, the, the light that's, comes yeah. on. But I got to kind of take you on a little journey and it takes about 10 minutes or 15 minutes to get you there. And then everyone's like, okay, now you got me, April. How are we going to solve this? (laughs) And I can't give you everything, but I can give you at a high level. This is my framework. This is how I got there. If you think that makes sense for you, by the way, I got a book and it's 200 pages of this stuff. And you can go on the super deep dive with that if you want, or you can talk to me afterwards and I do consulting on this stuff. But, and then it's amazing. I get mobbed with people after the talk saying, oh my God, but that thing you described is exactly what we've got. And we just didn't know how to put a word to it before. Yeah. So powerful. That's, that's amazing. So I don't have to be too controversial. Mm. Like I don't have to go out and say, hey, you're doing it all wrong. I'm just kind of like, you know, look, we need to be good at positioning for this reason. And here's why. And this is how the problem manifests itself. Maybe you've got this problem. Like, let me, let me, you know, let me run out a couple of scenarios for you. And you can see people kind of going, oh. Yeah. And the hard work is investing those 10 minutes, those 15 minutes and getting the audience to that place, right? It's really hard. And it has to be snappy, right? Otherwise, you're going to lose everybody. So I had to work a lot on making it fun. Yeah. You know, because it's, it is inherently kind of a dry theoretical topic. Yeah. Your delivery is fantastic. I mean, it's very, it's very polished. Oh, thanks so much. That's because I've been doing a lot of talking this year. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a different part of the journey, right? Oh, gosh, no. Like, like I'm an engineer by training, and I don't think I have much natural public speaking talent, to be frank with you. Although, what I, what I always did have was I was never afraid of public speaking. So, uh, I know a lot of people start out with a fear of okay. public speaking, yeah. and I never had that. So, getting up on stage and speaking never scared me. But I don't think I was particularly good at it. What I am good at I'm good at telling stories because I I grew up in a family of storytellers. Like I grew up in a really small town and storytelling is their jam out there. (laughs) And so people, you know, so I grew up knowing how to tell a reasonably good story. Although that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at telling a story on stage because telling a story on stage is very different from telling a story around the dinner table. There's just different pacing and there's things you can do when it's a small group that you can't when I'm standing up there talking at you basically. And so, so I had a little storytelling stuff. I had no fear of speaking. And in fact, right from the beginning of my career, I was often called upon to speak just because I had those two things. Like in a room full of techies, the vast majority of the techies will be like, all right, no way you're putting me on stage. <laughs> I don't want to do it. So I at least exactly. was like, yeah, yeah sure. I'll, yeah, I'll get up. It's a good career move, right? I mean, for, for anybody. Well, it was good for me because it was differentiating, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it helped me stand out. Yeah. You positioned yourself differently. <laughs> well, it's part of the reason I think why I eventually ended up in marketing, right? Is because it's, that's, it's kind of a marketing skill. Yeah. But at the beginning, like for the longest time, I just kind of winged it and I would get away with, 
a little bit of storytelling skill and just kind of guts. Like, <laughs> just get up and do it. So it's kind of like where angels fear to tread. Oh, all the time. Like, are you kidding me? All the time. But I mean, did that ever backfire? Did, I mean, did you ever have one where it was, this is a disaster. You wouldn't accomplish the goal you wanted to accomplish. Like, it's, it's not that I ever got booed off stage. And most of the time I'm speaking in an event where everyone's winging it. Like there are no professional public speakers at these events. These are like corporate things or, you know, we're all there yeah. essentially shilling a product. We're not allowed to be shilling a product, but we're, you know, we're talking about a topic that kind of turns back to a product. Like otherwise I wouldn't be there. Yeah, if your company sends right, you... Company's sending me. Like I'm, not, I'm not there right. getting paid. I'm not there trying to drive any anything else other than, you know, I'm trying to raise awareness of my company and I'm trying so it's not like I stood out as being particularly bad, but I didn't stand out as being good either. <laughs> like, I was just there doing the job, right? Like, Yeah, but it's different now, right? Because if you don't do a good job now, you don't eat, right? You're kind of on the next level. So you used to speak for your company. And, well, yeah. So yeah. what I'm doing now is completely different. And so it was interesting too, like making the switch from being in-house marketer to consultant. So now I'm a consultant and I get asked to speak and I have to decide whether I want to speak or not. And so sometimes they pay me and that's great and I get paid, yeah. but a lot of times they don't. And so the conference calls and says, hey, do you want to speak at this conference? And I, I have to make a call. Like, is there something in it for me? Like they'll pay to fly me down there or whatever, but I'm not getting paid. So how does this drive anything for me? So you know, this year I have a book out. So I'm sometimes the conference will buy books and quote unquote, pay me in book sales. Sometimes I'll just get the opportunity to talk about the book or mention the book on stage. And that might drive some book sales or, you know, I'm talking about a topic that I consult on in front of a room full of people that might need consulting and that would maybe drive some business. And so I have to kind of make that call about whether or not I even take the gig. Whereas, you know, when I was working at IBM, if IBM's invited to speak at a thing, I mean, generally you say yes, if the room is, you know, looks like the right people in the room, you say yes, and you go where they tell you to go. This one, everybody doesn't always know who my target audience is. So I get asked to speak at a lot of things where I'm like, I don't know, it's not really my people. And I don't know if there's anything in it for me. Yeah. Sometimes you turn up at these things and, and there's like a really popular speaker on in the other room or something, or you got booked into one of the, the side sessions or, you know, and you turn up and there's like 10 people. You still got to do it, right? You still got to do it. You still got to do it. And I've done ones where, you know, I've got on plane and flown all the way to the West Coast and it's a three, four hour flight and I get in there and I, you know, I got a hotel room before and a hotel room after and I'm eating a couple of days and you show up and there's like 10 people in the room. What are you going to do? <laughs> You're just going to do your thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late. Well, in, in a way, I mean, they could become bigger fans because they got more access, I guess. Well, for me, I think the the, the benefit of those ones that I, I have to remind myself sometimes is, is it, it is really good for your skill as a public speaker to do a lot of speaking on stage. The, the more speaking you do on stage, the better you get at it. Yeah. And so some of these ones, it's like, well, maybe I'm not going to sell any books. Maybe this isn't going to lead to any consulting business. But it's, you know, it's just another chance for me to get up on stage and work through some material and feel like what's working, what's not. And so, you know, and it does remind me that I have to do a better job of vetting these things before I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
there's kind of a conference circuit, especially in the tech Gosh, industry. There is. It's like the new ones as well, right? Yeah. We were speaking before we, we went on and you had a crazy schedule the last two years because you have the book. Yeah. Is the book published? The book came out in May. Okay. Fantastic. So last year I did a lot of speaking as I was writing the book as a way to work through some of the ideas and test it with an audience to see what stories work and didn't work and what resonated with an audience and what didn't. So it was a little bit of workshopping the book last year. And so I did quite a lot of conferences last year, like more than a a normal year for me. So last year I probably did 15 or 20 conferences last year in sort of the run up to the book. And then this year, when I looked at how I was going to promote the book, Public speaking just seemed like a natural way to do that. One, because I've been doing speaking quite a bit the year before. And then two, I think I'm getting pretty good at it, right? So, <laughs> so Yeah, and you're a known quantity now, right? So you're reliable. <laughs> yeah, it's like in marketing, you look at what's working and you try to max that out before you go looking for other things that might work, right? So, so I was like, okay, public speaking works for me. Yeah, I can do yeah. that. And so in January, I said, okay, this year... I'm not going to be too picky about where I go as long as it looks like a place where people might be interested in the book, the audience might be interested in the book. If people call me and ask me, regardless of whether or not they pay me, if they can get me there and put me in a hotel, I'll say yes. And at the beginning of the year, I had maybe six or seven speaking engagements booked for all of 2019. And so I was a little bit worried that that wasn't going to be enough. But then I did a bunch in January and February that went really well and they were quite big stages and they were quite big audiences. And so there was a bit of buzz. And then as the book was coming out, you know, I was doing more marketing around the book. So that was increasing the buzz. And then I kept getting asked to speak at more and more and more things. And so I'll finish this year with with about 45 wow. speaking engagements, which is That's a, a lot. Heavy <laughs> My goodness. And they're not spread out yeah. nicely either. Like they clump season, up in yeah. conference season. Yeah. So I'm basically, for most of September and October... I'm doing multiple engagements in wow. a given week because that's just when people do. You conferences. just touch down for a few hours to talk to us. That's fantastic. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like I, I think I have four days in September where I'm actually in my office, and today is oh, wild. Wow. <laughs> Are you still working? I mean, are you still consulting while you do all this stuff? Oh, yeah. So so I'm trying to jam that stuff in there, too. It's just been a real... It's been like a massive Jenga puzzle, my calendar. You know, it's like maybe I could stick a day of consulting in here and a day in there and a day in there. So some of that I've been lucky in that I have clients all over the world. And so I've been lucky in that, you know, so I'll say, hey, I'm speaking in... Ireland in October. And I got a couple of companies I'm talking to about doing consulting work. So I'm like, Hey, why don't we do it on this week? Yeah, Because you, you <laughs> you're in Ireland and I'm in Ireland and we can do this all this week. So I'm trying to slot things in. And then, you know, so that, I have this week where I'm doing a workshop and then I do a, a talk while I'm in Ireland and then I go to Paris and same thing. I do a talk, but I'm also doing a little consulting while I'm there. So I'm trying to move things around like that. Yeah, it's the calendar is not cool yeah. for me for the next couple of months, but it goes back to normal yeah. again in November. Just coming back to the, the positioning thing, are most of the people that you help, are they startups with new products or are they 
big companies with new products? Yeah. Or? So I've got this really niche thing that I do. And sometimes I worry it's too niche, but it, it seems to be working out pretty good for me so far. But um, so basically I only do positioning work. I only do it for tech companies and my client list kind of fits into two categories. So the bulk of them are fit into the first category, which is they're startups of a certain size. And so in order to do a, a really good job of positioning, you need a certain amount of customer yeah, traction. Yeah. So you can't be at ground zero, but so you need a product in market and you need enough customers that you can start seeing the patterns in who loves your stuff and why. And so usually they're, you know, the smallest ones I would do are like half a million to a million annual mm. revenue. The bigger ones are 30, 40. I had one a few weeks ago that were 50 million annual revenue, but most of them, you know, in the kind of 10 million, you know, one to 10 million annual revenue in there somewhere. Yeah. And I only do B2B because that's my background. I don't know anything about consumer technology and I do not understand how business and consumer technology companies make money. So I because I do. don't understand that, I, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's my thing. No that's names, my thing. No recent so, names. Yeah. Whenever they pitch it to me, I think, Hey, that's kind of neat, but you know what? You can take that exact same thing and package it differently and price it differently and sell it to businesses and that I can yeah, see how we yeah. made money. But anyways, so I only do B2B. I also do some work with bigger companies, but it's different kind of work. Like, most of the paid speaking engagements I do are where a company brings me in to do a, a class, essentially a talk that looks more like a class with their product team or their marketing team. Yeah. And I'm teaching them about this other way of thinking about positioning and potentially a methodology they might want to adopt internally. But it looks less like consulting and more like a course, really. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of the people who would listen to this podcast, you might be at the level where you're still, you work for one company and you're sent out to speak. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're kind of showing the way in terms of how you become independent and do your own thing. I mean, the only downside is the travel, maybe? Travel stinks. Yeah. Like, th there's no way I will do this many speaking engagements in a year like two years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just too yeah, much. It's like I have a life, I have a family, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be on the road this much at all. I kind of looked at this year as saying, you know what, I'm probably never going to write a book again. So I'm going to hit this pretty hard this year. And I'm going to be, you know, and I had to, have the conversation with my family. Look, you're not going to see a lot of me this year, but it is temporary. <laughs> Next year is a whole new deal. So there's that. So I, you know, I don't think I want to do that much, but a little bit of traveling is fun. You know, I don't mind going, you know, doing a conference once a month or once every couple months. But when you start doing like multiple per week, that's, that's when it starts just, getting yeah. a little, it's a that, little crazy, crazy at that point. You know, when I was speaking as a person inside the company and, and speaking, it was also very different in like when I worked at IBM, I had an admin. That would book everything. Yeah, do you have to book everything yourself? <laughs> it would, it would yeah. book my travel. And there wasn't a lot of flex in that. I stayed at the IBM approved hotel. And, you know, I took the flights that the IBM travel people told me to take. I have a virtual assistant that helps me with a bunch of stuff, but there's still extra work when you're doing it yourself in that, you know, I could take any flight I want. I, I have to make a decision. I could stay at any place I want or an Airbnb or anything I want. And I have to make a decision on that. And so there's just a lot of 
logistics. Yeah. The logistical stuff involved in 40 speaking engagements yeah. is a nightmare. Like I couldn't have done it without yeah. some help, but even with some help, it was pretty bad. And then coordinating, you know, they're generally covering my flights and travel and expenses and then coordinating who's paying and for what and am I invoicing and, you yeah. or are you invoicing me? And oh yeah. my gosh, it's just a nightmare. It's it too much stuff. Again, 40 <laughs> is too many. 40 is too many. Don't do that. Well, I, you got to sell a lot of books. Yeah. Well, you know, the good, the good news is that for me, this year has been an excellent year in terms of my business. Like I've sold way more books than I thought. Like it's a oh, really, really niche topic that well, I'm, that wow. I'm speaking on. It, it's not like I'm talking about, you know, general business concepts. Like, so I sold way more books than I thought I would sell. And so I, you know, completely blew away my target number of books awesome. that I, you know, that I was shooting for, for the year. I blew, I blew that number away a month ago and that was my number for the whole wow, year. Okay. And so I'm feeling yeah. good about that. And then consulting wise, it's driven a ton of consulting and not just a lot of consulting, a lot of really good consulting. Like, like, yeah, yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did. Um, Put the prices up a little bit and I'm getting better qualified people coming to me because they, you know, they've seen me talk, they've read the book. Sometimes they'll, after they read the book, they'll say, Hey, maybe April's done a podcast. And then they go around and they listen to all my podcasts and then they come to me. And by the time they come to me, they already know what I do. Yeah. They're already yeah, so sold. Not, They're basically yeah. just coming to me saying, how much does it cost? And when can we do that's it? That's interesting. Yeah. So you can deliver quality or value faster. Yeah, that's right. Like I don't have to do as much qualification on a lead that comes to me to try and figure out, well, do you really understand what I do? And are you a good fit for me? They've kind of qualified themselves by the time they get to me because they've, you know, they've seen me do my thing. They've read 200 pages on it. They've, you know, most of the cases they've listened to me speaking. And so by the time they get to me, I don't have to do that that much to teach them what I do and all that other stuff. They already know. Wow. It's a nice place to be. It is. It's pretty cool. I'm the, the big thing I'm interested in is how much does that sustain when I'm not doing 40 speaking yeah, well, a year? So next, next year, I won't do two. that. So next year, I'll go back to my 10, 15, 20. And let's see how that, you know, we should have exactly. this podcast yes, next year. And then I'll tell you how that work be, out. Yeah, that's going to be super. <laughs> I do think that my speaking engagements will be different next year because in the course of doing a lot of speaking this year, I'm a lot more well-known by conference organizers this year than I was last year. And frankly, my talk is better. And so I'm getting invited to to speak at higher quality conferences and And bigger stages with bigger audiences. Yeah, now I'm kind of doing opening keynote and closing keynote, which... You know, last year I wasn't doing, last year I was a breakout speaker, if I was lucky, you know, and then speaking in the middle of the day. Now I'm getting a lot more like, hey, we want you to come and be the closer because we know you're good. That's very gratifying. That's pretty satisfying. Pretty gratifying. Yeah. So maybe next year, even with the, even with doing fewer keynote talks, you know, maybe I can drive the same amount of business with less of them because they're bigger stages and better quality. It's going to be interesting to see. April, unfortunately, we've run out of time. We could we could keep going for quite some time yet. It has been absolutely fantastic to have you on the uh, podcast. This has been really, really interesting. And uh, you are uh, an inspiration. Poor speakers stuck in corporate land. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. We, we should do yeah. this next year. And I might say, you know what? It was cool for a year, but then it all <laughs> fell apart. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think you're going to be like, yeah, I'm writing another book. <laughs> oh, gosh. I hope not. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Goodbye. 
Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward. Pause.